Welcome to Nine Point Started With A Dream podcast. Our goal is to showcase the stories of athletes and the community that supports them by being authentic about their journey. Here's your host, Jacoby Gillum. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host as always, Jacoby Gillum. This episode features Marlene Holmes and she is um, a PhD student. She's a former student athlete and current business owner. And Marley is doing a lot of work within, within communities, trying to helping improve the well-being of student athletes. You know, and the conversation that she's having is really impactful and really starting deeper conversations. So great episode here, great journey with Marley, and let's get to it. So Marley, the question of everyone that comes on is, when you're younger as an athlete, what's one of your biggest goals you want to achieve? Um, so yes, when I was younger, so let's see, when I was younger, my biggest goal was an athlete. So I will say the way my athletic journey began, to be honest with you, is I was just a kid that would play anything that came around. So before I got into organized sports, just playing on the playground and things like that, you know, playing with friends. There's a basketball, play basketball, work. Um, I love jump rope, you know, things like that, whatever it was. And so by the time I got to seventh grade, um, it was just tryouts for volleyball. And sure, why not? There was no one in my family played volleyball. And I just had an awesome mother who was like, sure, if you want to go out for it, go out for it. And that's really where my career began. But at that point, there was no um, conversation for me about going to collegiate sports, what that looks like. I was, um, I loved basketball because the WNBA had started um, between the years that I was on, I think fourth or fourth through sixth grade. So the WNBA started and that was like my first time really seeing women play sports outside of like tennis because tennis is a family sport for us. But um, I would say, yeah, I just kind of went with the flow. Um, I was fortunate enough to make every team that I tried out for. And that's definitely not to brag. It's just, I was talking to my mother about my research. And I was talking to her about, you know, athletic identity and how, and how I felt that I had somewhat of a positive experience. But what is it that you tell a child when they don't make a team? And my mom replied that she didn't know because I always made every team. <laughs> and the same experience for her. Um, so. Going collegiate um, didn't really hit my mind until I would say my sophomore year because my teammates were pursuing it. Um, it became reality for me my junior year, but I really didn't start going through the process until my senior year because I lived in Alaska. And the only way that you were really recruited is if you were, let's just say, um, a Diana Taurasi type of player, people would know about you or if you could travel out of Alaska for club teams. So I didn't have that. I didn't have that experience. I never participated on club teams or anything. So the short version is, I ended up calling HBCUs myself because I was going to go to an HBCU and contacted coaches, athletic departments, and I sent out all my film. And I actually ended up getting recruited by a junior college first, and then transferred to Division One to a Division One school. So it wasn't always it wasn't always a goal, but it was. I was just kind of kid that. If something presented itself and I wanted to go for it, I went for it. So I guess so for you with sports, was it almost, it wasn't a hobby, but it was just something you did that you really enjoyed. Yeah, that's how I got into it. But I would say it immediately became a passion, um, but I didn't think college level yet. You know, like I knew I was going to college, but I guess the, the aspect of playing a sport in college seems so unreal like it just seemed like you have to be this most amazing player ever and I just thought it was on something that was really intangible for me um, but it quickly became a passion so everything I did 
um, working out, running, you know, on the weekends, I, I quickly formed uh, and fed into the athletic identity. I didn't know that then, but I know it now. So it became a passion. I played sports year-round. I played volleyball, basketball, track, and for a certain a small amount of time, I ran cross-country from like sixth grade or seventh grade to my freshman year in high school. Um, but yeah, it quickly became a passion. It was just the step of going collegiate. It just didn't seem like it's something that I could do based on talent, not that I didn't believe in myself. And, and then we got to the point where you, where you said, I'm going to go for this. I'm going to start reaching out to the schools. How did you deal with maybe like that first rejection of that school saying, we don't want you? It was tough because in the world of volleyball, I only, as a black woman, I only knew of white volleyball players. So um, I came from a diverse team, but on the collegiate level, anything I ever saw on TV um, was there was, I never really saw black volleyball players. So when I went through the HBCU process of trying to get recruited, I learned quickly because I had no knowledge of the recruiting process. Um, the, back then we call it the NCAA clearing house. So that was um, with your ACT scores, basically what made you eligible to come in. So it was a very challenging because of knowing the scores and finding out like the first go around that my SAT and ACT scores weren't, uh, were too low. So taking that rejection and, and having good grades and never experiencing that, it was a, it was a hard blow. Um, but I, again, I had a supportive parent, my mother, who was like, okay, so take the test again and get the score, you know? Um, but it was tough because I called a lot of schools um, and they were, the feedback was great, but it wasn't, it just didn't work. Or a lot of the schools were saying that, well, we can't give you a scholarship your freshman year, so, um, but we can give you a scholarship for the last three years because you're really not that talented enough at this point to compete on this level because I was only applying um, and contacting Division I schools. And so there was one coach at Chicago State, which is not an HBCU at the time, I thought it was just because um, I knew someone that went there and all of that. So um, I contacted Chicago State and that coach said, you know, you're good, but I couldn't play your freshman year. You still have a lot to learn. But I would like you to go to this JUCO that one of my former players coaches at and get the skills you need there, kind of get used to playing at this level and then come. So that was my path. So it was a relief that I had an opportunity and someone believed in me and that I was still going to school. So at that point, I was, it didn't matter if I was going division one, it was just that I got to play a sport and I quickly learned what the JUCO process, junior college process was. So it was hard getting the rejection initially, but once I got that yes, um, it was awesome. And I think we learned very quickly that the athletic identity component is much more heavier than we think, because at some points it does feel like the world is over. Um, but I had a coach and teammates that were going D1 out of high school that told me just to keep trying. And that's what I did. I love that in the sense of you don't have an ego with it. Right. Yeah, you can't, you know, but I think that comes just from an, a supportive environment. And, you know, I don't know how I would have felt if that would have been the end of my career at that point, because I was just so determined to get somewhere to where the local news reporter helped make my footage, you know, on a VHS tape. <laughs> I sound so yeah. old. Um, but he helped make film because, again, I had no idea of the recruiting process. So I think when people believe in you, 
you just have hope, right? So mm -hmm. there was no room for ego, especially when you find out that your SAT or ACT scores aren't too low. That's a very humbling process. I remember when 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 Elise sent me sent me, sent me my rejection letter saying I didn't pass the first time to get in. So I was like, man, you know, you, you like you start thinking like, man, I can't even go to college now without being an athlete. Right. Yeah, it's tough, and it's like I knew I was gonna go, but now it's to the point where because I had not explored um, going to school just as a student. I had only been looking at schools to go for sports, meaning that I was really only looking at their athletic department because I had no idea what degree that I was pursuing um, and really no role model to let me know what the next step is. Like I had an aunt that played um, collegiate tennis so she could help, but the world of volleyball and the world of tennis is totally different. So it, it was quite, it was quite an experience. So once you, so once you made a step to, to that JUCO level and you knew that, all right, this is, this is one step closer to that, the HBCU, you know, how did you approach the grind? Because JUCO, you know, it's a beast on its own self. It definitely is. Um, I went, to, the name of my JUCO was Independence, Independence College, so Independence, Kansas. So it's a very small um, country town. Everyone knows everyone. And the population of black people is very small. Um, so it was definitely a transition because I come from a military background, like I was raised in a military family. So my entire life I was raised around every religion, every culture, uh, every race, every ethnicity, like everything you can think of, I was always raised around that. With that said, I was always cognizant of who I was in the world as a black woman and even as a young black woman, um, a teenager at that point. Um, so it was definitely a transition for me only because I'd never seen the world black and white like that. So the reason it became challenging outside of sports was because of, I was dealing with um, individuals and teammates who had never met a black person in real life. So a lot of the stereotypes, a lot of the questions um, was extremely hard, very challenging. And then you try to find a balance with, you know, your social life and dealing with that and then still focusing on sports. But the truth of the matter is when you're not doing well outside of the court, it can feed over into your sports performance. So academic, social, that can impact your, uh, your um, athletic performance. And that happened to me my freshman year. I was really having a tough time transition because there was no preparation, there was no conversation um, about, you know, wh what this place is and what the experience would be. There really wasn't um, a team bonding outside of, we're just focusing on getting strong for the sport. So it was a very difficult situation, um, but I was blessed to have an assistant coach who was kind of that outlet. So by my June, so I didn't play much, my freshman year, I got injured halfway through the season, um, and it was tough, but we had an amazing team of sophomores, and um, we did really, really well. and made it to nationals. It was the first time in history. But my sophomore year, I worked so hard over the summer because I knew at that point, similar to high school, um, that this is it. But because I had already gone through that in high school, I knew that I had to step up. So I worked so hard that summer, um, harder than I think I've ever worked in my entire athletic and came back as a starter my sophomore year. Um, and I had a coach who believed in me. I had a coach that, who was white, who never even heard of an HBCU. She didn't know what it was. 
And she was committed to helping me get to an HBCU D1 level. And I was able to do just that. Um, so having that support and having a coach that helps you, but it was something within me, to be honest, that was like, this can't be it. And I didn't want to lose that dream of going to an HBCU because it was a passion initially, but now based off of a lot of the racial issues I was having on campus, um, it was honestly like I just needed to run for the hills. <laughs> and so I think that was the fire that pushed me even more to get to that environment. So, and I know from, from my experience that sometimes it's hard, like when you don't see anyone that, that, that looks like you, right? right. You, you, you can't have the conversation that you may have had about certain things, the weather is, you know, like, like for me, I live in Scottsdale. So I know sometimes I go out at night, whatever, I got to walk, I, I got to watch, I got to watch how I walk. But for you, you know, like when you were at that, at the community college and doing the JUCO, how did you, I guess, adjust to the culture or just, or just figure out how to find your, keep your culture in a sense of where it may not have been expressed? That makes right, sense. that's a great question. So um, because I'd never experienced anything like this, I'd never experienced um, all the questions about my hair or people using the term colored, um, you know, I've never experienced any of that in my life. And, you know, you read about it, you hear about it, you hear about your parents' experience on in the jobs and all that stuff. But um, it was really hard. So initially, there was no outlet as far as who to, who to talk to, you know, but call home to parents, my mom and uh, my grandparents and share, but you don't want them getting worried. So you don't tell them like everything that's going on. So the short version of it is I, I internalized a lot of it. And when I got hurt, it only, you know, elevated that. But I did have my freshman year, I had one other Black teammate, and we really developed a serious bond. Um, she's, she was, she's from Florida. And from that bond, we were really able to have kind of a safe space. And I don't really like using the word safe space, I prefer brave space. But we were able to find a connection to be supportive for each other. Um, because with her being from Florida, she comes from a diverse um, surrounding, but still a predominantly Black community. So we were both just trying to figure this out together. Um, but we actually started creating small gatherings for Black athletes because the football team was basically all Black, the, the men's basketball team was basically all Black, the Black, you know, so the athletes were Black, but the student population itself were not, and the community wasn't. Um, so we would have, like, Black History Month. We did something, like, as much as possible through the week, but obviously schedule with sports. We had like poetry night. We had nights where we would cook food. Um, just a place for us to kind of be ourselves and be free. And that was really great. And I think that's the sense of community that we developed. And so going into my sophomore year, we had um, a few more Black girls recruited. And we actually um, lived in a different living arrangement. So it was, we were able to live together. And so that helped a lot feeling like having community and then by that point letting people break down those stereotypes just by being there being an example and then um meeting people from the community was great as well because you know you were able to see that just because one or two people may say these things and have these stereotypes not everyone feels that way so it, it sort of balanced itself out but i but what i always say is for athletes that you have to find an outlet, 
now there's a lot of campuses and athletic programs with all of the changes that are that are being made for mental health um, with social workers and therapists within athletic departments with um, different programs that are offered now um, utilizing your on-campus counseling and things of that nature um, is something I wish I would have had then because I think um, I would have been able to process a little more I think even my athletic performance would have improved um, if I wasn't harboring so many emotions um, and trying to figure this thing out on my own that I really didn't understand. And and with that, so I know somebody listening may not may not get it. They may not understand what what you mean by by your experience with it, right? So if someone was like on the outside looking in, can you just kind of give an example or just shed a light on what 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 you mean by just it was a different situation in a sense? That and that sense. it was a good situation, or, or, or just, or just how it, it's different, you know, like, like, like if you're, if you're not, if you're not African American, not black, you know, and you say you're white, Asian, Hispanic, whatever, like that, and you're like, what does she mean that, that it felt different, you know, with the school was like that? Can you kind of explain on what you kind of mean by that? For sure. So the easiest way to explain it as is if you don't feel like you have a place. Um, you don't feel, you don't see the representation, so you don't really find opportunities to insert yourself where you feel comfortable, where you feel understood, you don't feel judged, um, you're not seen as just an athlete. Um, a lot of times on campus, especially small campuses, you can kind of tell based off what people you utilize as stereotypes to see who's an athlete. So if you're on a predominantly, predominantly white campus and you see black people, people are just naturally going to assume sometimes, not all the time, that that's an athlete or if you see someone in, in sweats you know you may think they're an athlete mm -hmm. um you just may on physical appearance alone you experience a lot of judgment um and people sometimes don't really get to know you or they assume um that they already know everything about you because of whatever their experiences or what they've seen on tv to be honest with you who an athlete is how intelligent they are um how motivated they are you just face a lot of a lot of that. So a personal interaction um, were, you know, within the team dynamic. A lot of my teammates at the time were raised um, in rural areas on farms and had no black people in their in their community. So upon our interaction, it was a lot of questions on their part about basically who I am as a person. And sometimes the, uh, those questions um, can either come off very discriminatory, very judgmental, and it's very can be very demeaning because you're almost being interrogated for just being who you are and i feel that no one should ever have to explain why you are the way you are um there's questions that can be asked about personality what makes you happy what do you like doing but when you're asking about physical appearance when you're asking about a whole race as if i represent the entire black community and population that i'm here to um, justify why black girls talk a certain way or why black girls clap their hands when they're upset and these are all real life experiences <laughs> oh i believe so, you know so th th uh, that's what it is is that you can't just walk into a space and just be you have to walk into a space and justify um, why you're there exactly just by why you're there and sometimes remember that People are looking at you as a representation of an entire community, and it's just an unfair situation to be in. 
but that is often the experience of Black athletes on a predominantly white Oh, I, I remember like my, my freshman year, I had a communication class and, uh, and, we, and we had to write papers and I made an A on one paper and this one, this one girl who who thought she was like the smartest kid in the class, she she made made a C and she was like, you only made an A because you're an athlete. And I was like, dang, that's how you feel? And I was like, I want to tell her like, yo, I'm a walk on, so I'm paying, I'm, I'm paying to be here just, just like you are, you know? And yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You know, and it, 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 it can make me realize, you know, that you always have to almost prove your worth in in, in the place mm-hmm. where when it's like that's not how real it how real it is sometimes. So, so when you got to the got your got to the HBCU, how how did that conversation or how did that lifestyle change from A to B? So it was very interesting. I was so excited to get there. Like I said, my dreams of going to a D one and just being able to say that I was there. Um, and being on the ACC campus, it was awesome. However, one thing that I didn't realize is that I had never been around like all black people, <laughs> you know, in a public setting outside of like family or a small group of your friends. So where I thought that I would just walk onto campus and be like, oh my God, I'm so happy. Black people, this is great. It was actually a culture shock. And I don't, and I've heard, and I've talked to quite a few people and I've read in literature as well, that sometimes we don't we don't realize and expect that. Now that feeling went away very quickly because I was glad to be there. I had great professors, um, my teammates, so that quickly went away. But it just wasn't an initial reaction that I was expecting. That wow, we're here, we're thriving, we're successful. You know, it was just amazing. But it was an, an initial shock that oh my God, they're really this really is a predominantly black institution. <laughs> so. It was a journey, but it was great, and I'm I'm so glad that I had the opportunity. Um, but I think I was able to transition out, out of sports into corporate America, into the professional setting. Um, I'm not going to say easier, but it wasn't such a shock because I had went already to a PWI, a predominantly black, white institution. So I already experienced kind of the best of both worlds. So I knew who I was in the community of Black people and the support that I could feel. But I also knew that um, the judgment and things that can happen when I go out into a space that's not exactly represent, doesn't necessarily represent who I am. But it was a great opportunity for me to kind of thrive in my academics, in athletics, and have an advi- academic advisor who was able to guide and support me. I didn't have that um, at my previous school. So it was a great feeling because I felt like I was able to successfully transition um out of college at a very effective level but coming into being a transfer student i don't think that people recognize how complicated how complex that is to transition in the middle of a sport in the middle of your collegiate journey into an institution so that was very hard um, because you're coming into a team dynamic that's already established for the most part and a lot of the freshman experiences and the freshman courses that you learn about your school um, you don't get that as a transfer well, at least I didn't. So it was hard to adjust and to catch up. And then the pressure of academics um, to make sure that I graduated on time. We always hear about the, all the credits don't transfer and it can make it challenging. Well, um, it wasn't that all my credits didn't transfer. It was just that the degree that I wanted um, wasn't there as a major. So I had to kind of switch up a little bit, take more courses, 
and um, so that I can graduate on time under the scholarship. So in this overall journey, you know, like how how would you describe it? Well, in a sense of, or I'll put it this way, if there was an African-American girl right now that, that, that's listening to this episode, right, and she's trying to, I guess, figure out herself, right? Mm-hmm. What, what would be your advice on just on how to on how to navigate the journey, you know, with representation and this whole the whole whole thing? Well, the biggest thing is know who you are outside of the sport, right? Um, we often want to we don't realize it, but the sport is how we identify so, ourselves. If people say, "Oh, what do you do? Oh, I play basketball," or "I play volleyball," especially as a young adult in high school, but start to explore different avenues, join different clubs and different programs. In, in school, you know, there's a lot of free organizations and programs um, in high schools, in the communities. So I would strongly encourage to do that as in addition to the sport. So that way you can kind of start exploring different passions and different skill sets that you have at an early age. Um, and then as you, I would say, if a young lady is listening that's on the college level, um, one thing that I hit very hard when I started working in corporate America and um, got my, I moved on to get my master's degree, I experienced a lot of racism, sexism, and ageism, and I wasn't prepared for that. So not that I want anyone to be, um, to develop like a very uh, hard exterior and just assume that you're gonna go to a workplace that you're not gonna be liked or welcome, but you have to be prepared. So I will say when you value, when you find the value in yourself, you will go into a space that maybe doesn't have the representation of you, but because you know your value, you can easily um, maneuver, speak when you, you know, speak up when something's right, when it's wrong. Um, you build your resume to show that, hey, I am just as good, if not better, than all the other candidates that are being interviewed. I will say for me, I um, never dreamed of being a director. I never dreamed of being a corporate trainer. And, you know, within the past three to four years, I've never, I never had envisioned of being an entrepreneur starting my own business. But because of my journey, I had to build my value. So that's a, a value in myself, like my self-esteem. And I'm a strong person, but it's something that happens to you when um, someone uses this. I've had, you know, coworkers who were white use the term lynch in a joking manner to me. Um, I've been fired from jobs for discrimination where people have literally made up something based off of just intimidation of me doing my job well. So it's the reality that things happen, but when you know your strengths and your values, you can maneuver through the world at a very phenomenal rate and experience and speed, to be honest with you. Um, And I feel like the generation behind me are able to tap into so many opportunities because the the opportunities to start your own business um, is essential. And that's really why I started mine. I launched my Second business with uh, early February is called the BFCA Experience, which stands for Black Female Collegiate Athlete. And I named it that because that phase in my life, I now know was the foundation of who I am now, meaning um, all the experiences, all the challenges, everything that developed who I am as a woman, being Black, um, and being a collegiate athlete, all elevated me to this point now. Um, and I think having those transferable skills we hear about a lot. so being disciplined, being motivated, being a team player, knowing how to work independently at times um, are a lot of skills that a lot of non-athletes don't have. And I've seen it over and over in corporate America 
And it's like, you know, I need to get back and educate young women, young men, um, black athletes, all athletes, to know that there are some things that you are leaps and bounds ahead of other people. And don't let society tell you what you can do. You show them what you can do. I love that. And, and I wish I would have been able to hear heard you talk when, when I was younger as an athlete, you know, because for me, like, I, like the identity for myself was Kobe the athlete. You know, I, I'm glad that things are shifting in athletics now, um, and, you know, it's better late than never, but I think there's still a target of athletes, depending on community and limited resources, that still won't get that information. So, you know, it's up to individuals like you and like myself to make sure that we get this message out. So, so going on that, I need the next another call coming up. So, so for that, so how how do we, as a community, help educate you know the the future? Um, well, the biggest thing, and part of my business is I'm focusing on middle school um, kids that start athletics because it's typically where people start around the seventh eighth grade with organized sports, um, and then all the way to college. So through research, that what I found is that um, as soon as an athlete starts a sport, that's when the athletic identity begins. Um, typically at seventh, eighth grade, that's when you start having challenges with self-esteem, um, and you're trying to figure out your place in the world. So what I found is that parents need to know what it's like to enter a sport, and they need the education. So targeting parents um, and educating them, especially if they were athletes before, um, or have a history of being an athlete, making sure they understand what healthy parenting is in regards to raising an, a young athlete. Um, you know, example being when a game is over and you get in the car to ride home, let's not rehash missing that, that game-winning shot. You know, that, that's not going to help the situation. So I was just talking about how that affects the, the player emotionally and mentally and how that can definitely hinder their growth, how that affects their academic performance. Um, also with talking, uh, give, giving resources to communities so reaching out to those communities who maybe can't afford to play on travel teams and club teams, and I was one of those kids. So going out and explaining to them what the recruitment process is, what it's like to transition into high school sports and collegiate sports, just talking about those opportunities, what you need to do, what you need to think about. Um, and then if you're dealing with college athletes, talking at that freshman year about preparation for life after sports, um, even if they are planning and want to go pro, we know that less than 2% actually do make it pro. So we want to make sure that they're exploring those options, they're exploring their resources on campus, the writing center, the counseling center, um, joining organizations outside of athletics to again tap into some of those experiences. So I think the more knowledge we provide, the better. And so with my business, I'm targeting uh, players, parents, and coaches. And you know, in the future, we're going to develop some workshops, some online seminars, um, and then a lot of face-to-face -face interaction to really help make a difference and just open the doors. We won't, we can't predict everything, but based on what I've seen personally, um, and then what research shows is there's still a huge need for, um, for education and exposure. I love it. I love it. It's a needed conversation. And I think what you're doing is so powerful because it's, we, we need it, you know, people need to well, I mean, I, so many athletes need to understand that they're not alone on situations like this. That you know they have that 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 brave space they can go to. You said so. Right. Mm -hmm. So 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 last question for you. So where are you at? Social media, website, anything we can kind of plug right now? 
Absolutely. So I'm pretty much everywhere. Um, but my, I have two Instagrams. One is called the underscore BFCA underscore experience. Remembering that the BFCA is black female collegiate athlete. Also, I have my own podcast. It's called Yup, She Said It. And that is my Instagram handle for that. So it's Y-U-P, She Said It. Um, you can go to that Instagram page and the link in the bio will show you where to find my podcast. It's available on Anchor, Spotify, um, Apple. It pretty much, it's over and available on over, all, uh, over I think, 10 platforms. Um, also, you can find me on LinkedIn under Marlene Marley Holmes um what else i have a youtube channel and so the youtube channel is awesome because i'm uploading the actual interviews from the podcast so you can actually see who i'm talking to onto the youtube channel along with some educational videos that i've actually made that talk about the transition out of sports um we, i talk about intersectionality for black female collegiate athletes um so there's a lot of things going on and we'll have some more interviews coming up and um, that's it. And if you want to email me, my email is also the, the BFCA experience at gmail.com. I do speaking engagements, I travel, um, I do virtual interviews. So there's really nothing I don't do. So if you have a space or a community that needs some assistance, I am more than welcome to, welcome to collaborate and work and figure out what we can do to make the next generation and even the current athletes um, have it a little easier than I did. <laughs> Love it. That's what it's all about, you know, improving the game for everybody. For sure. Well, Marley, thank you for coming on and you know, enjoy, enjoy the rest of your weekend and keep doing big things. Thank you. Same to you. Thank you for sharing your platform with me. Yo, thanks for listening to this episode of the Nine Point Started With A Dream podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please comment, share, leave a review. We would love to hear your thoughts. You can find more athlete-driven content at ninepoint.com. Till the next episode, you're only one opportunity away. Peace.